and we read in the name of Jesus. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Amen. Let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Almighty God, we come before you this evening thankful for around your word. Lord, we, we pray a blessing on us as we hear, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. We pray that you would point us to the cross of Christ, that we would see Christ lifted up, that sinners would be converted, and that those who have faith would be confirmed in the faith which you have given us. Oh Lord, we pray that this word would take root in our heart and well up a spring to eternal life. We pray for all those on our prayer list and for all those who mourn. We especially remember the fam family and friends of Deb Thunberg. We ask that you would comfort those children and all those who loved her. Comfort us with the promise that we look forward to this Lenten season of Easter morning and the resurrection of the body. We commend this service into your fatherly care, praying that in your mercy you would hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now hear us, Lord, as together we pray that most perfect prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hymn 86, Didst Thou, Dear Jesus, Pray? Amen. 
Our sermon text for this evening is found in John chapter 12, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 11. In the name of Jesus, amen. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag, and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burial, of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This season of Lent, we're looking at those witnesses of Christ, witnesses to him. We saw last week John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now, today, we see Mary, the sister of Lazarus. And really, we, we, there's, there's a few people that we see in this account. We see Mary, and we see Judas, and we see Lazarus, and Martha's mentioned. But the context here is important to note. Um, in John chapter 11, we're told that Lazarus is sick, and Jesus goes to um, visit him, but he um, purposefully delays. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus only sleeps, and they go to wake him up. And Jesus then, when he gets there, Martha meets him and says, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus makes that great statement saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, yet will he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then shortly after, Jesus goes and the stone is rolled away. Lazarus has been dead to the point where he smells. And Jesus cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, and he who was dead rises from the dead and comes forth. And at that time, when a word reaches the Pharisees and the chief priests, <clears throat> at the end of chapter 11, we're told that they decide that um, Jesus needs to die. And so Jesus now, six days before the Passover, 
Not long after raising Lazarus from the dead, perhaps with the Lazarus still slightly smelling, sits down to supper with them. And he is marked for death. They are plotting to kill him at this very moment. And at supper, Mary, Lazarus's sister, takes a pound of ointment of spikenard. Now, this was a very expensive ointment um, that um, I believe came from the Himalayan mountains. So how they got it in Jerusalem, imagine the route it would have had to take, is it's really amazing that Mary would have this and it speaks to the cost of this ointment. But it was very fragrant, it was, um, had a good smell and it, a jar of it, or a pound of it, according to what the figure Judas quotes, is about a year's wage. That's a lot of money to pour out all at once. And this is Mary's response to Jesus. Jesus visits her. Jesus raises her brother from the dead. And her response is to give. And her way of giving is to wash his feet with this ointment. And I don't know um, if it speaks to just a lack of planning or her devotion, but she decides to, um, she's moved to tears, and she, she wipes his feet with her hair after anointing his feet with this ointment. And Judas sees all this happening, and he's concerned, and he lashes out in judgment at Mary. And he says, why didn't we take this ointment and give it to the poor? Why are we wasting it here? We could have sold it for a year's wage, 300 denarii, and we could have done really well for the poor in this area if we had done this. But we're told by John that Judas wasn't saying this out of his great love for the poor, but he was saying it out of his great love for himself because he had control of the money. He was the one who kept it, and he would, from time to time, help himself to it. And it's always easier to steal when there's an abundance of coin than when there's not. And so Judas, you can see how crafty he is. He's disappointed. He wants this ointment for himself that he might profit off of it. But rather than just coming out and saying that, thieves are very rarely so bold as to simply tell the truth. He speaks out of a righteous position, a self-righteousness, in fact. And the result is um, that he gets shot down because Jesus knows what's going on. And beyond that, something's going on that Mary can't even see because Jesus says that this ointment that what Mary's doing is preparing him for his burial. And according to what I've read, um, spikenard wasn't just used as, a, as an expensive perfume, but it had also been used as, for embalming. And there's this great um, pointing forward to um, almost prophetic aspect to what Mary is doing in preparing Jesus for his burial. 
But how many of us, when given the opportunity, when an impulse comes upon us, would spend a year's wage in service for one night's devotion to somebody? And one act of love. How many of us would be willing to do that? That's a tall order, isn't it? You know, from a young age, we've, taught, we've been taught it's more blessed to give than to receive. But at least the way our flesh works, it's quite the opposite. We're usually not um, horribly offended if we're denied an opportunity to give to somebody. Let's say we planned on paying for the meal. And somebody else steps up and takes the check and we can't do it. We're not going to walk away horribly offended because we didn't get a chance to pay for the food. No, we'll be gratified at the one who did. But if we were expecting someone else to pay for the food and they didn't, well, then all of a sudden we would get offended, wouldn't we? We'd have reason to grumble, reason to um, complain, especially if we were then left with the bill. When we were expecting someone else to pay for it and all of a sudden now we're the ones having to pay for it. We'd get up in arms about that. And when we think about the things that bother us, most of the time it's when we didn't get what we thought we should get. Are we ever bothered when we don't get to give what we thought we should get to give? Not really. And I think that betrays our heart. When we examine our life and the way we act, are we more like Mary or are we more like Judas? Do we selflessly give? Or do we self-righteously speak and justify our lack of generosity dressed up in self-righteousness? And I think um, it's, it's hard to teach this to kids, too. You, but you see this behavior in kids all the time. And sometimes they surprise you and do the amazing thing. You know, kids are, all, kids are the greatest referees when it comes to fairness. They're going to be the first ones to point out when something's not fair and the first one to, um, to cry out at perceived injustices. You know, when we're adults, we get a little wiser about um, speaking out like that. But kids, don't, they don't do that. If they feel that something not fair is going on, they're going to speak up about it. And very often, the parental response is, well, life's not fair. Not everything is going to be fair. No one promised you complete fairness. But... Occasionally, there are things that happen with children when something doesn't go their way, something's not fair. You have three pieces of candy and you have four children. And one of the kids says, well, I don't need it. They can have it. Kind of an amazing thing to witness. But here we see Jesus pouring out his great love throughout his ministry for in the presence of Judas, and his response is, I need to enrich myself. Mary's is, I need to thank him. And now Jesus tells us in Matthew's gospel, after giving the parable of the sheep and the goats, um, or in the middle of that parable, he says, whatever you have done for the least of these, my brothers, you have done for me. And this is something that tends to um, set Christianity apart from most of the religions of the world. You see, in Christianity, God, he calls us to worship him. And he calls us to praise him. But our worship of him, according to what the scripture says, 
isn't necessarily what we do here on Sunday morning, but what we do tomorrow when we go out in the world and serve our neighbor. Jesus tells us whatever we do for our neighbor, we do for him. When we come here, it's more about him serving us than it is us serving him. But out there, when we go out in the world, it's more about what we do for our neighbor. And that is true worship. James puts it this way. He says, pure religion that is undefiled before God is taking care of the widows and the orphans in their affliction. When I was a kid, one of the things um, that uh, used to get repeated to me was, gimme, gimme never gets. You know, you come in with a, give me, give me, give me, well, you're not going to get what you want. And um, it seems to be true here. Judas, in seeking to enrich himself, does not get what he wants. And how does it bear out for us? Very often, we do get what we want when we're seeking to enrich ourselves. And here, Jesus calls us to a different way. The one who lives to receive is missing out on something. The better way is to live to give. In the Lenten season, we see people of other traditions, and perhaps in some Lutheran traditions we might see it, though it tends to be more rare in the ALC, in the Apostolic Lutheran Church, we see the custom of giving things up for Lent. And this practice could seem quite, um, quite hypocritical, but... In Isaiah, Isaiah tells us that the fast that the Lord, that is pleasing to the Lord, is not the one that, um, that well, it's, it's the one that gives to the poor, that feeds the, need, the hungry, that clothes the uh, naked. And the, the, that Lenten custom is best fulfilled if you're going to give something up for Lent in giving up so that you might give. Um, I've heard of people doing things as, as simple in Lent as um, not um, eating out at restaurants. And um, in doing so, they save quite a bit of money, especially if they're the type of people that eat out a lot. And, um, and then they make a bigger contribution to um, whatever charitable causes they are giving to. And I think that's kind of a neat practice. Because it goes so much against our sinful flesh. Our flesh does not want to give. It only wants to take. But what did John point us to last week? And this is where we see this marvelous God that we serve. He takes, but what does he take? What does he take away? The sin of the world. And then he gives, and what does he give? His very life that we might receive and so this, this week, this Lent, we have a great opportunity. God is putting it before us right now, calling us to not be so concerned with getting ours, but to be more concerned with giving of ourself. We might not have money to give, but there are ways that you can give. And it doesn't cost you as much money in those circumstances, but time. Some of us might be more equipped to give financially. But really what, what, what this is calling us to do here is to simply be more giving, be more generous, 
doesn't it have to bear out financially with our time, not be so focused on what we want, but what on others want. And you will see that there is blessing in this. If you find yourself struggling with loneliness, if you find yourself feeling like your friends have turned their back on you, well, you might see this subtle shift in your behavior help that. You might see people um, drawn to someone who is willing to give. And this isn't, the point of this isn't that you would make yourself more popular. No, not at all. But Jesus tells us, by this will they know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The attitude of gimme gimme is not loving. We want people to know that we're his disciples. We want not only that, but to point people to Jesus, that they might be his disciples too. And the best way to do that is to show love. And to show love, we're called to give. Because this is what Jesus did. God, Paul says, commends his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love for us is borne out on the cross. And our love for our neighbor is borne out in us pointing them to it. And the best way to open up people's ears is to point them, or is to show them love. And so you can be at peace today, dear Christian. Because though you love yourself, God loves you. Though you have much sin, God took away your sin. And though you have been unwilling to give, Jesus gave his life for you. And on account of that, we can freely give. In closing, I'd like to refer you to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and this not of yourself is a gift from God, lest any man should boast. And we usually stop there when we quote that verse, but the next verse is telling. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all the people you send in our lives to serve us, and we pray that you would equip us to serve them. Help us to stop being so selfish and be more selfless. This we pray in Jesus' name, thanking you for the salvation that we have through his precious atoning blood. Amen. Next week, we will, I hope you will join us, and we'll be talking about Malchus. You might not know who that is, but your homework for next week can be to learn who it is. And we'll be talking about him. Now let's humble our hearts before God and receive the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And for those listening online, we're having some technical difficulties, but we should have those resolved tomorrow. Hymn 104, A Crown of Thorns.
I guess the only announcements I have are Sunday school at 9.15 this Sunday and worship service at 10.30 and next Wednesday night men's group three serves coffee after the service and supper. Thanks a lot. Hymn 100, Jesus Refuge of the Weary. Upon the sinners. 
Father, Son, and 